This podcast is brought to you by Learn Prime. Start your journey to becoming a great developer at learn.thoughtbot.com. Giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with Peter Reinhardt. How's it going, Peter? It's going great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So what does your, what does your day-to-day look like? Yeah, so let's see. I usually uh, walk into work. It's about a, a half-hour walk downhill in San Francisco through the fog. Then I have a stand-up desk, so I sort of get to work answering emails. Um, and then actually quite a few meetings. As the CEO of Segmento, I do a lot of sales and stuff like that. So uh, we have a – our conference room is actually a closet. Mm-hmm the moment uh, which is which is pretty fun yeah. um but so we take a lot of sales calls in there and then uh, do on-sites around san francisco so it's pretty fun get to see the insides of a lot of very cool companies um, mm-hmm. and learn a lot about how they work so it's pretty fun so you do you see your job as ceo as, as mainly like chief salesperson at this point um it's really a mix of everything right now mm-hmm. sales is always a big part of a startup you're always trying to close more close more mm-hmm. um so yeah that's probably my primary responsibility is cash flow right so making sure that the business stays operational and that everything is growing, growing, growing. Sure. So can you give us the elevator pitch for Segment.io for people that haven't heard of it? Yeah, absolutely. So we basically help route analytics data to all the different tools um, that companies use to analyze it. So most online companies will use sort of a a cocktail of different tools. They'll use a handful of advertising pixels and conversion pixels like Facebook and Google AdWords. They'll use sort of a top of the funnel analytics tool like Google Analytics or something to sort of analyze where traffic is coming from and how much traffic there is. They'll use a mid-funnel tool like Mixpanel or Kissmetrics to analyze how people are actually interacting with the product. Uh, and they'll often also use like a push notification tool or an email tool like Customer.io to sort of drive retention. Mm. And it turns out that all those different services rely on the same data, which is who is the user and what are they doing. So what we make it, we have an API and it makes it very easy for someone to track who is a user and, and what are they doing. And then we forward and route and transform that data off to all these services. So it lets, saves developer time so that someone can install once and then uh, route anywhere. And it gives them the flexibility of toggling these different tools on and off at will. Mm. Well, my, my favorite analogy for this are, is uh, that it's sort of like the adapter pattern for analytics. Yeah, exactly. It's basically a layer of indirection between uh, yep. you know, the tools that use the data and the way in which you sort of ideally want to record them. Mm-hmm. So, so once I've got everything wired up and instrumented, I can, sort of, I can actually just literally click on services in your dashboard and you start funneling information that direction. Exactly. You drop in the API key and hit on and the data starts flowing. There's not just, um, it's not just a matter of routing. There's a small transformation. So, for example, Mixpanel might have a dollar sign sign up is like the sign up event, whereas Customer.io, it might be signed underscore up. Um, and so mm-hmm. we know how to do those transformations so that developers don't need to pay attention to those, uh, those details. Mm-hmm. And I, I should mention that we actually are customers, and, and it's been, we're liking it so far. We felt the pain before of switching and adding and you know, removing uh, analytics code, so this seemed like a good idea. You guys have a pretty cool uh, site, I guess, that has sort of like the guide, the ThoughtBot guide. Uh, yeah. You, you, so you, are you referring to the playbook? Yeah, exactly. It was all, thank you guys for the mention in there. That's, uh, we've gotten some customers out of that, so I appreciate it. Oh, awesome. Yeah. No, we're happy to recommend things that we like and that have worked well for us. So are, are you involved in the, on the tech side of things? Uh, I was more originally. Uh, I still do some programming day to day, but that's mostly around like dashboards and internal tools and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. I guess the company was founded by three engineers, me and two of my roommates from MIT, uh, and then a designer who's become more of an engineer over the years um, from Rhode Island School of Design. And um, you know, so 
originally it was the four of us doing engineering all day. And then, uh, mm. you know, once we started getting customers, it turns out that uh, engineering is only about 50% of the problem. Right, totally. These days, I don't spend that much time engineering. Do you miss that? I do, yeah. It, it turns out that uh, an engineer never really gives up being an engineer. So now I just uh, get out my engineering wiggles on the weekend, sort of... Uh, hacking on things, usually internal tools and metrics, but uh, during the week, there's not a lot of time between sales meetings to, to work on that stuff. Right, that makes sense. So what does your tech stack look like? Uh, it's basically all Node, so um, Node.js and Express.js is the server. Um, though we're playing around a little bit more recently with Koa.js, um, there's actually two parts of our infrastructure. There's the API itself, and then there's the app that people use to control which things are turned on. Um, and the, the app itself is a website running on Express, uh, the API stack is a little different. It basically, there's a elastic load balancer on AWS, and then there's sort of a, a stack of API servers that go into a message queue, and then there's another stack of uh, ingestion servers that take the data off of the queue and then um, forward that data on to all of the other services that we can route data to. Have there been uh, interesting scaling or technical challenges that you guys had to come o- overcome? Yeah, the, the most interesting, the most problematic thing is uh, when customers do batch imports. Um, so, you know, most of the time we're recording hundreds of events a second, mm. um, and then you'll get a, or thousands of events a second, and then you'll get a batch import of a couple thousand events a second. So suddenly your load can, for a 10 minute period, can quadruple. Um, mm. So that's, it's been interesting to figure out how to build the queuing system is actually what saves us there. Um, mm. And then we can sort of buffer that queue. Hmm. Are you familiar with Rich Hickey by any chance? No, I'm not. Okay. So he's the author of Clojure. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, one of his favorite things is, he says one of his favorite design questions is, can we put a queue between these things? <laughs> like one of yeah, those like exactly. fundamental, fundamental things. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, early on, we weren't really sure why we needed a queue there, but it seemed like a good idea. Uh-huh. Um, and that saved us a lot of, a lot of times. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sometimes those, those design decisions early on can be huge. Yeah, the, the other solution I've seen to it is just to uh, have the API servers, the, en- the API endpoint basically just write to disk uh, and then process it slower. But we, with the uh, queuing system, we actually have like a faster response time. So it's usually like a couple hundred milliseconds in terms of turnaround from when it hits our API to when it goes onwards to the analytic service. Mm. So does, does it stay in, in memory then in the queue? Yes. Okay. Makes sense. So how old is the company at this point? So the company is almost three years old, actually. Um, it has a bit of a history. We actually started, the four co-founders actually stopped out of MIT and RISD um, in 2011 as juniors. Mm-hmm. So we all had one year left. And then we were actually working on a real-time lecture tool for the classroom. So it was like a, a thing for university classrooms because, you know, we were university students and that's what we knew. Mm-hmm. Um, we worked on that for about four months, raised a, a seed round coming out of Y Combinator. Um, the problem was that selling into universities was was extremely difficult, and so we pivoted in the fall of 2011 to work on something more akin to Google Analytics or Mixpanel. Uh, as, well, it's not really a pivot. That's more of like a 360, I guess. Um, sure. So then we worked on that for a year, and we at some point had this idea. I guess it was when we were building the real-time lecture tool. We actually had this idea for building this sort of layer of indirection for ourselves. So we built this thing called Analytics.js. And basically what it did is it could route data to Kissmetrics, Mixpanel, and Google Analytics, and that was it. And, you know, we used it ourselves, and then at some point we decided to open source it as a way to get customers for our new Google Analytics competitor. So we added, mm. added a fourth option, which was the old segment.io. Mm. And so we put it on GitHub, and it basically just started accreting people. People just started uh, starring it on GitHub, started using it, started submitting pull requests. And in December of 2012... 
uh, my co-founder Ian sat us all down and he said, guys, I think there's a big idea. I think there's a big business behind this. And I thought quietly to myself, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> and I didn't tell him that. And I went home and I thought to myself, what is the fastest way I can kill this idea so that we stay focused on our core business, which is this Google Analytics competitor? So I came back in the next day and I said, guys, let's launch it on Hacker News and see what happens. Because I figured it'll go straight to the bottom and then we'll be done with it. Right. Um, so we put it on Hacker News and it went straight to the top. It got like 2,000 stars on GitHub in the first couple of days. And uh, I was proven totally, totally wrong. So that was the beginning. And then it just kind of uh, snowballed from there. We added server-side integrations, added mobile SDK. But yeah, it was, it was kind of an interesting thing that from the beginning, it had to prove its worth because I was so skeptical of it. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because you, you hear, I've, I've heard the story of like, oh, we built this thing for ourselves and it ended up being popular and we turned it into a product. And that's how it started. But I, I love this bit where like you built it for yourself but thought, you know, this was a terrible business idea. Yeah, I honestly thought it was horrible. Uh, over the over the past year, I've come to understand that it, it's uh, it's actually very exciting. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, initially I was I was not a fan. Yeah. So how do you feel that the company's going? Uh, I think it's going really well. Um, we have about three thousand five hundred customers now. It's about one year in, um, recording billions of events a month. So everything is everything's going really well. And in terms of product direction, it's really exciting. Uh, the team has grown from four to eleven now. Um, mm-hmm. seven engineers and um, you know marketing and uh, sales as well so yeah it's going to be it's going to be a really exciting year I can talk a little bit about the sort of product direction if that's interesting yeah definitely I'd love to hear it so right now we take in data from one source which is like a website or a, or a mobile app mm-hmm. um, but that's really only like one customer touch point if you think about it there's lots of others mm-hmm. um, it could be a payment system or a help desk or a um, support tool or an email service provider there's many places where you're generating data about about your customers and for the most part that data remains siloed in all those different tools Mm. Um, and so one of the things that we can do is using the webhooks that those services offer or injecting an email pixel or something we'll be able to pull in the data from all those sources um, and then route it back out again to all the tools where you actually want to do the analysis Um, so Right now, we're helping, we're sort of fanning out to end services, but at some point, we'll actually do M services in to end services out. Oh, interesting. You can get at the data that I send you, right? Like, I can get a backup of what I've fired down the wire to you guys? Yeah, exactly. So we we store a raw log of the data. This is interesting because in the analytics space, the analytics vendors actually have a pretty vested interest in locking in your data. Mm -hmm. They don't want to make it easy for you to leave, right? So... The idea, they're happy to build a batch import API, but not a batch export API. So right. part of us granting our customers flexibility is in storing the raw data and making it very easy to export. Um, so we store, there's actually two ways to get it out. One is in real time via webhooks. Um, so you can put in an arbitrary server endpoint and forward the data onto that. Hmm. Um, or you can get the access to the raw logs in S3. That's very cool. So how do you and your uh, co-founders get along? It's <laughs> an interesting question. Um, so I lived with them for about four years, or we all lived together. Actually, the other three guys still live together. Um, I got married, so I moved out. Yeah, it's, it, I think actually the living together, I think, was a key thing that helped us through some of the harder times as a company. And I had lived with the, the guys from MIT for uh, basically f- three years before that. You know, there's, there's a certain, like, startup mantra of, like, living I guess cheaply and 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 so forth. Um, uh-huh. We the there was one thing we kept our burn rate really low for the first two years, um, 
Oh, it's still pretty low. But the one thing that we splurged on was a nice living space and office space. And I actually think that that was more important than we give it credit um, because it meant that the place that we were working all day long every day was the nicest place that we had access to. (laughs) And so there was no reason to leave or to want to leave. So it kind of established a bit of a barrier to like giving up, if that makes sense. Sure. Plus there's the sort of social contract of four best friends. Right. And probably helped you with um, recruiting a bit too. Yeah. Well, actually... You know, when we started growing the team, uh, we moved to a, like a real office here in here in Soma, partly just because the the apartment was a bit far from central lines of transportation. Uh huh. But yeah, you're based in Boston, right? We are. Yeah. Do you miss the city? <laughs> I do sometimes. Yeah. Do you have any regrets about uh, leaving MIT? Uh, no, MIT is actually very gracious about the whole thing. They, um, for all of us, they said, "Come back." You know, as long as you show us that you were doing something interesting, you can come back any time in the next ten years. Mm. So um, I actually credit MIT quite a lot with being very like forgiving and understanding of someone wanting to do something that had sort of a, a natural timing to it. Yeah, um, makes sense. So I may, go back at, I may go back at some point when it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you had to put money on it right now, you think you will? How much money? <laughs> thousand bucks. <laughs> I don't know. I, would, I could see it as a useful, useful transition at some mm. point to go back and, sure. and be in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny after you after you get that sort of initial shot at it it feels like a, a luxury right like the idea of like yeah I'll take oh, yeah. a year off and just study stuff and learn things it's <laughs> like wow you're such a lucky guy to get to go do that totally that was actually something that surprised me coming out of college and going straight into a uh, super focused startup environment mm-hmm. was the idea of working on the same thing every day mm-hmm. you know in college you work on like 10 things a day and it rotates throughout the semester so you're constantly doing new things and you know startup is kind of the opposite of that you kind of do the, exactly the same thing every day hmm. um, and at least for a couple at least for a couple months and then your job description changes but right do you, do you miss that change hmm. i think i did i think um now that for, well for the first two years you know quite honestly we were failing um and so for those two years our job description didn't change and it was pretty much the same thing every day <laughs> yeah. Um, now that, yeah, now that, now that the company is doing better, uh, things actually are changing. So every couple of months I have a new job description mm-hmm. and that's very fun because I'm constantly learning something new. Mm-hmm. Do you have any specific things about yourself that you're trying to improve on? Yeah. One thing is, um, sort of like humility, um, and patience. Mm. Par- I think part of the reason that we failed for the first two years was, um, because we believed too strongly in our own ideas. Mm. Um, and well, in particular, I believed sort of blindly in like a abstract idea that the, something we we're building had to be right and was best for the world. Um, and I kind of reject the idea now, maybe partly because of the experience with Analytics JS, that I have any idea what is uh, what's right for the world. So, like having more humility and patience when listening to the customers, um, and really anybody, I think is something that learned the hard way over the past two years uh, hopefully something that i can continue getting better at hmm. do you have any uh, particular goals for the company beyond the sort of many inputs many outputs um yeah there's some specific features that I'm not quite ready to talk about okay um i think that there's a there's some interesting dynamics in the analytics industry that i i hope will change as more people start to use segment so one one thing is it takes about 500k, maybe two million dollars, to build the ingestion service 
to power an analytics company. So when you think about like you know a mix panel or a Kissmetrics or a Track IO or a Customer IO, in terms of engineering time, it costs somewhere between half a million and two million dollars to build the infrastructure required to process the data that's coming in. Huh. And part of the challenge there is that you have to scale to your biggest customer immediately. Hmm. Um, and the problem with that is that the people who have the best ideas about what to do with the data are you know, analysts and people who don't necessarily have the computer science background to know how to build that infrastructure. Um, and so I think there's a lot of friction in the marketplace that gets introduced because the people who know the best thing to do with the data don't actually um, necessarily have the skills or resources to build out the products that do that. And even if they did, there's a huge upfront cost to building that out um, for maybe a, even a niche application that, or a niche market that they could sell it to. Hmm. So in terms, of a, in terms of like a longer vision, I, I hope that Segment.io basically introduces um, some more efficiency to that marketplace um, and makes it much cheaper to build that kind of tool You because know, you don't need to build all the SDKs. Maybe you don't even need to build an API. Maybe you can just take in the raw data from Segment.io. Mm. So I, I hope that it introduces like a little more um, flexibility and efficiency into the analytics marketplace. Yeah, it's interesting to be creating a business and working on a business that's in a way is fundamental goal is more efficiency. I really like that. <laughs> it's, it's like we're going to prevent yeah. you from needing to rewrite analytics integrations over and over again. Yeah, well, and the other interesting thing is that the, I, I believe that the analytics market is fundamentally niche. That, for example, if you try to think about like a, a generically useful analytics tool, hmm. it's not that it works for a lot of people, but it's not hugely valuable to any particular um, company, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas you think like at the extreme opposite end, you have a company that's built their entire analytics infrastructure in-house. They spent millions of dollars on the analytics team to build it out, like say a Facebook. It's hugely valuable to them, um, but it only works for Facebook. Right. And so if you think about sort of like the ideal tool is, is it gets more and more niche. And so right now, because of these infrastructure problems, people are trying to address big markets. Um, whereas I think really what's best for the end customer is if they didn't have to build all that infrastructure and everyone could target many niche markets. Like the analytics tool that's best for a mobile game is completely different than what's best for like an enterprise e-commerce company. Mm-hmm. But, and, and you're preventing them ha- from having to keep repaying the, that integration cost? Um, well, hopefully there's some kind of marketplace where an analyst could build the ideal report for or ideal dashboard for a, a mobile game and an analyst could build separately a, the ideal report for a major e-commerce company without having to rebuild the entire infrastructure underneath both times. Right, okay, I got you. So what, uh, what are your outside interests beyond, uh, beyond your work? I know you, I've seen a lot of posts and whatnot from you on uh, nuclear reactors. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I was, uh, I was meeting with an investor the other day, and uh, he sat down and he, he said, you know, I was, I was Googling thorium reactors and your name came up, or your blog came up, and so I, I read through it, and then I realized that I had a meeting with you this week talking about analytics, and I got really confused. <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I sort of have like a, a passion for nuclear reactors, or um, at least for trying to understand them. There's um, what you're probably mentioning in the blog articles there, is there was a reactor developed in the 1970s called the Molten Salt Reactor, mm-hmm. um, and I, I got really into it, reading about it last fall, read a bunch of papers about it and so forth, um, and it turns out that development of the reactor mostly stopped for political reasons, but it had a lot of promise technically. 
Um, and I, I know there's a number of efforts at MIT and in China in particular to start development of that of that technology again. Um, so that's that's super exciting and really interesting. Mm-hmm. What uh, anything else besides uh, nuclear reactors? I do enjoy hiking around San Francisco. And the Marin Headlands are beautiful here. Mm. I actually had a, a fun experience last year. Went to Germany for a cousin's wedding, and I had seen this picture of a of a rock in in Norway. It's a it's sort of a diving board rock. Uh, it's about three thousand feet up from the floor of uh, fjord there. Mm. And so I'd seen the picture online. I, I decided that we absolutely had to go visit it. So my wife and I uh, went and went to Norway, hiked about 20 miles, and uh, went out on this diving board of rock. It's crazy. It sticks about 30 feet out over this 3,000-foot cliff. Wow. Uh, it's totally wild. Um, it's called uh, Troll Tunga, if you want to check it out. Huh. Cool. We'll have to link to that in the show notes. So um, what would you do if you had to leave Segment IO? I had to leave. Yeah, and that doesn't sound very fun. Yeah, or imagine that you know it's ten years from now and you're just you want a new thing. It's an interesting question. That might be a good time to go back to MIT. Hmm. I don't know. I I was actually studying aerospace engineering at MIT, so I would probably be very interested in doing something back in the aerospace engineering world or perhaps nuclear engineering. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about it. I'm mostly uh, <laughs> yeah. walk to work, think about data, and walk home. Fair enough. Well, then I think we can uh, just leave it right there. Cool. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you uh, dropping by and chatting. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to meet you. Yeah, likewise. So if you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to thoughtbot.com slash giantrobots slash 86. Thanks for listening.